This is PBL in Practice. Um, you, you, you'll talk to a teacher and quite often they'll say, well, they give us three weeks to teach that or they give us you know, two weeks to teach that. And they don't feel empowered. The teachers don't feel empowered enough to pause and say, how much time do I really need to teach that? Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of PBL in Practice, your one-stop shop for all things project-based learning, where you can get advice from real teachers in real classrooms. I'm your host, Shayla Adams-Stafford, PBL trainer, teacher, and enthusiast, and today we have a special treat. We're doing an author's chat with two amazing math educators, Chris Fancher and Talania Norfar. So without any further ado, let's jump into the episode for today. Our guests for today are Chris Fancher and Talania Norfar. Chris Fancher is a middle years program design teacher at a public international baccalaureate charter school in Round Rock, Texas. He has taught every course from pre-algebra to calculus in more than 20 years of public education. Talania Norfar is a mathematics teacher at a public high school in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. She has taught all high school courses, including AP Calculus, AB, for nearly 15 years. She's a former journalist and account manager. Both of them have combined to come together to bring to us project-based learning in the math classroom. Both of them are also members of the National Faculty of PBL Works. Let's jump into the interview. All right, Chris and Talanian, thank you so much for joining us today. And we are excited to jump into your book, Project-Based Learning in the Math Classroom. So thank you for joining us again. All right. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Now, Talanian, this is your second time on the show. And Chris, this is your first appearance. Um, so just talk to our listeners a bit about your background and what brought you to using project-based learning in math. We'll start with Talania. So, yeah, it's so good to be back. I love your uh, listeners and your podcast. I It was a funny um, situation that brought me to teaching and project-based learning. I was uh, harassed in by a friend uh, during our, <laughs> our um, reunion. Um, a wonderful harassment, but it was still a harassment at every meeting. And so when I gave in and said, okay, I'll look at teaching, I went to a school that was a charter school in the um, Oklahoma City area. And our orientation, they said, we do project-based learning. And they showed a video. And um, me being from the corporate world, I thought that was like the start of intense training. Um, and I was shocked to see that the video was the training. And you oh, just no. left on your own <laughs> to figure it out. So I resonated with it. I thought it was something that education was doing everywhere. And I didn't know that it was not something happening. And um, the journalist in me just started investigating and trying to find things out. So I did a lot of school of hard knocks um, before finding PBO works material and other resources that really helped me um, implement it well. But I fell in love with it um, immediately and it, was a perm it has been a permanent part of my practice uh, starting in 2005. Awesome. And I'm sorry that that was your introduction, but I'm glad it <laughs> it was the, the floor and not the ceiling. Okay, Chris, talk to us. <laughs> All right. And uh, I'm glad to be on here. And it was an interesting, similar kind of thing in that I, uh, my wife and I were both active duty in the Navy and uh, 
one of us needed to get out. And she said, well, you know what you want to do. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, you always wanted to be a high school teacher and a baseball, baseball coach. And I really hadn't heard myself say that, but she convinced me I did. And I went to uh, <laughs> get out of active duty and shifted to the reserves and went to Old Dominion University to get my master's in education and teaching certification. And there they said, everyone out there is now doing a collaborative learning and cooperative learning. And that will lead towards project-based work and inquiry. And that's all I heard for a year and a half or almost two years of getting my master's. And I went to teach and found out that I was the only one doing cooperative learning groups and and kind of a project-based, inquiry-based kind of approach to, to teaching math. Hmm. Um, and after a few years, I got contacted by a principal at a new tech school who had heard about me doing that in the classroom. And he said, you need to come to my school. And then he said, but I warn you, once you see it, you're going to want to teach here. And I thought, what are you talking about? Um, and the one thing about new tech schools is they always have the students do tours of the school. So I arrived, shook his hand, he handed me off to a student, and we visited classrooms, and I said, yes, this is what I want to do. And that was 2008, and uh, I've been doing everything uh, project-based basically since. That's awesome. And I am just so grateful to you all for sharing with us the, the combined uh, wealth of knowledge you have on using PBL with math, because I think this is, and I think you all would agree, it's a touchy subject, a prickly subject for math teachers in thinking about reimagining their classroom to be project-based. And so I hope that today we'll be able to kind of break down some of the common myths about math and PBL and really dive into your book, which I must say, if you are a PBL math teacher uh, from grades 6 through 10, this is a must-have um, because they've just given so much thought to not only some practical projects and, and um, resources you can use, but also just the theory behind it as well. So I want to start there. You all talked about really constructivist and inquiry-based learning in math. And so I, maybe if you could just ground us a little bit and, you know, why is there less constructivist learning in math? Um and sort of what are your, your thoughts and your, your grounding in why it's needed? Why do we need inquiry-based learning in math? Okay, Chris, I'm going to let you kick it off. Okay, all right. Well, it's, uh, it's the inquiry. I'm going to start with the inquiry side of that. And that is um, allowing students to explore with math and get their hands dirty, if you will, with math is so important. We have a math club at our school and there's 10 to 15 kids usually there every week. And a lot of them are basketball players, literally just looking for a place to wait before they go to practice. But we, we give them though, these wild math related things that they explore and they keep coming back because it's so much fun and there's no t pressure of testing or, mm. or any other thing. It's just exploring this math that's all around us. And I think that if you can do that in your classroom and if you can use your imagination a little bit to, to introduce that to students, it math becomes, um, if not fun, at least in more interesting than sitting there 
you know, working 20 problems. Yeah. Okay. So to you know, or, or expand upon what Chris was saying, I think in the United States, we unfortunately have um, made math so like focused on facts and uh, accuracy and um, uh, memorization and not the problem solving that it really is. And we, those of us who are good at that, the fastness, the accuracy, want to keep perpetuating that rather than what mathematics really is. And so it's been really hard to unbreak, um, even though like me and Chris were both us, quote unquote, duped <laughs> into thinking <laughs> this is what's happened. The reality of it is, is we almost have to do um, sort of a re-mental switch um, in the math classroom to re remind people that it is more about problem solving. Yeah, and I think that one of the challenges you all discussed in your book um, and the reason why inquiry-based math is not as pervasive throughout the country is the issue of textbook adoption. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Um, you know, my quick comment, I'm going to do a quick one, but a quick comment on that is having been on math book textbook adoption committees before, is that the politics involved can really influence the result you get. And that's, which is very unfortunate. And I know I won't men mention the school district, but working with a group of math teachers from all over the district, going through various textbooks and talking to the, the editors and finally saying, this is the one we want, this one. And it, they, it was a very inquiry-based math uh, system. And then it turns around, the district buys one that's a very traditional, you know, one of the big three, if you will, you know, math book. And we realized that our, our input really wasn't even honored, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And um, I think that really your discussion about that in here really gets at sort of some of the challenges around, you know, curriculum uh, that does not necessarily always value the, the real world application um, or really this inquiry-based approach. And so I thought that was a really interesting um, focus that you all took in the, in the beginning of the book. So let's dive into some of the myths that surround doing PBL in a math classroom. So one of the myths is that it just simply can't be done uh, with scheduling, right? Um, with the actual content that we have to teach, the practice that needs to happen, you know, we don't necessarily have time to teach these soft skills. And so tell us how you all are debunking that myth in your book. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I actually, I have to admit, I love, I love that one. Um, and I love when people say it because, um, it really is genuine <laughs> um, at first, but once you start sort of like picking at it with questions, you realize that that was really their just scapegoat out. Well, here's what I mean by that. The reality of it is with, with PBL or not, um, all of the standards in every state, um, in, in every place you could go to in the United States, is too much you could possibly teach. No one's ever gotten through a full textbook. No one's ever gotten through um, all of their standards. So the reality of it is no one ever did all of it anyway. Mm -hmm. And you consciously choose what you sit on 
and what you um, sit uh, keep going over um, with your students till they really get it. And we're just saying be purposeful about it rather than sort of having it happen unconsciously. Make a decision to wrap your brain around certain concepts and have your students really unpack it mm. and look at it from a deeper way. It's not that we're um, discouraging some some aspects of practice. We're just encouraging more depth of thinking about the content. And sometimes teachers haven't done that themselves. And so that's really the fear more than it is the scheduling, is that they are unequipped about what they're going to embark on students to do. And so if they don't know the answer, they don't want to have kids trying to figure out the answer. Snaps to that. Go, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, um, you, you, you'll talk to a teacher and quite often they'll say, well, they give us three weeks to teach that or they give us you know, two weeks to teach that. And they don't feel empowered. The teachers don't feel empowered enough to pause and say, how much time do I really need to teach that? Mm. Um, and I think if you can do that first step, um, and if they say, well, they kind of need it all year long, great. That's something you spiral in all year long. But if you're sitting there saying, well, they give us two weeks to do, you know, I got to do it in two weeks. Do you really, you know, like, mm. like Talana was saying, you know, does it really need to be two weeks? And what can be done? Uh, we had a very progressive district when I was with the new tech school. And two of us went to talk about Algebra 1 with the math specialist for the, for the district. And we said, we do not want to do this schedule you've given us. And we laid out the whole year. We want to do projects here, 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 here. This is how long it's going to take for each. Here are, this, here are the standards we're going to cover in each. And we promise you that at the end of the year, we will have covered all of the standards you want us to. But we're going to do them in a different order, different lengths of time. And they were willing to go with that because we had our we had our facts together on what we wanted to do. Well, you know, I thank you, Chris, for diving deeper there. And I think that one thing I really loved in your book, in the PBL unit examples, were that you really kind of guided teachers through step by step of what is the content and what are the actual lessons that you need to teach and having them backwards map from there. And then folding in the PBL strategies of reflection and giving them opportunities to work and, and, and develop their final product as they're learning the content. Um, what What's kind of your method behind planning and scheduling to ensure that you have enough, you know, sufficient math practice, but that you also are giving opportunities for students to engage with these PBL strategies? kind of your your thoughts there. Delaney, you want to start? Oh, yeah. I was like, I'll, um, actually, I'm, I just launched uh, a project again three days ago um, with my students. And people could easily follow it. I'm doing better about blogging and tweeting and <laughs> Instagram and, and all that stuff about it. Um, so people could follow me about it. But the piece that... Um, is the, I would say it's the tricky part about project-based learning is making their product very tightly aligned with the math they need to practice. Mm -hmm. So my students have um, a, 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 trying to find the best price for different products to be sold. 
And they have a mathematical analysis product that I've created that basically makes them do all of the math about quadratics over and over again um, as they're trying to find the solution. Mm. So it's not that they're not going to get um, regular practice too. Like some of that is happening just to help them build confidence when the, the numbers get really crazy. But my product is demanding that it occurs mm. and the product makes them um, repeat it, which is a couple of the, the elements about project-based learning that is so beneficial. Sustained inquiry is what makes learning deep and critique and revision is what ma- um, and reflection, like you mentioned, is what makes things go permanent mm. in a kid's mind. So the elements actually enrich it rather than it being an add-on. Um, to the work. It makes it much more meaningful and powerful. Um, but you have to intentionally make sure that what they're creating has the content that you need um, for them to be learning. Yeah. And, and I, I just love, you know, how you all have weaved uh, those PBL strategies through these sample projects, like using exit tickets as a reflection, using seminar and discussion to really help students, you know, get at those mathematical practices of really, really talking about numbers and talking about the reasoning why, and that can translate into writing as well. So, you know, just the way you all have weaved this in here is just, it's really excellent. Um, and I also wanted to say, the way you've weaved an inquiry in having students come back to the driving question throughout the project um, through different charts. And they've included them in here for folks that are um, going to be buying this book and really great templates, which we'll talk about at the end. So uh, let's let's get on to myth number two, um, perceived student ability. People will say, well, you know, I am working with students that are several grade levels behind. Um, I'm working with students that are really just trying to grasp math, and I don't think that injecting a project into, you know, a really high-stakes environment for them in terms of math learning is a good idea. What do you say to that? I think a lot of that, um, I'll jump on this, I I think a lot of that comes down to um, a misunderstanding with a lot of the teachers about project-based learning in that the, uh, I hear it a lot. Well, my students don't even know how to do that yet. How am I going to do a project? They don't understand that by introducing the project that the students suddenly have a need to learn this math that they don't know how to do yet. And so, yes, it's true that that you may have to work on some of their skills throughout. But I think if you do it properly, the students know that to be successful and create this product, they need to understand how to manipulate the numbers so that the numbers are created in a way that represent what the product is at the end. Mm. That's a really good point. And, and I will say, I loved how you all just launched this book and said straight out the gate, this is a method for reaching our students with disabilities and our English language learning students by incorporating project-based learning strategies within the math classroom to get students working with their peers, working collaboratively, uh, getting opportunities for visual representation and diversified instructional strategies. I thought that was excellent because we need to just stop the idea that, you know, all students can't do PBS. All students can do this and they can do this with math. 
Let me ask you all this question. What's Wait, wait, wait. I got to jump on that. Go, go, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I just I kept going. So, quiet. I was not. I was like, okay, I was going to get my Because I think, well, one of the things is people start to follow my class. My my classroom is everybody. I call it everybody that's a builder rejected. Mm. That's who I have in my class. <laughs> um, right. I have high ELL population, 40 different languages are spoken in my building. Wow. At least two different languages in each class period um, occurs. I have very people taking my class for the second time around, people who have taken it for the first time, people who um, who struggle. And, it, and that's the first thing they say every time I talk to them is I'm not good at math. Um, everything is in each of my classrooms. And so the the love I have for project-based learning is it does allow all of those kids to enter where they're at. Um, but the hard part of it is that as an instructor, I have to engage and plan for that. So although the structure is there and it, and it encourages it, I still as a teacher have to work on my beliefs, my skill set, and my ability to open it up. So, for example, I did not anticipate in this project to do some sort of debate. Mm. I wasn't thinking of trying to do that. Mm -hmm. But my students, when I had them picture what the solution would look like, a few in one class period was like, it looked like we might be debating about prices, about what it could be. And I was like, I got to plan for a debate. <laughs> like, um, because <laughs> that's what they're picturing it to be. Now I won't have to do that for every class. That wasn't every class's idea or thought. But as a teacher, I have to be open to that. I have to allow them to give their voice and I have to be willing to let that go even if I don't have a clue how to do it. Like in my blog post, I was like, anybody got any ideas on how I can have them have to debate? Because <laughs> I was like, I don't really know yet what that could look like. Um, but it is there if you're willing and if you're um, open to growing as a teacher to allow those kids to shine and grow and feel confident. And that's my last story. One of my students, um, and I, and this is a pet peeve of mine about math teachers. They were like, well, they can't even say they math facts. They don't know two times two. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> like they have a calculator. Like it's, it's okay. Like mm -hmm. it's not time tests. Like they, they ain't gonna have forever. Um, I was like, they can still understand the, basics of factoring without knowing their time table. So to give you examples, I have one of my students, this is her second time taking algebra two. She didn't pass it with another teacher. Um, and we were working on factoring because it's gonna be needed to for the project. And they're building their skill set up and they understand that they just trying to practice it to deal with it when it comes. And she didn't know her times. I mean she was like, I don't know what could be times ninety. I said, well, it's okay. You know your numbers, right? One, two, let's start with one. One times possibly what would get you 90? And she was like, 90. And I said, okay, can two possibly? And she started thinking, I said, okay, keep going up. I was like, it doesn't have to be fast. We, we don't have to take all day um, to, or we don't um, have to be it done in five minutes. You can take all day if you want to. Um, but the key is, do you understand what's happening? That these are two numbers that are going to come together. And she was like, yeah, I get that. I said, you're on, my, you're on the road. Um, yeah, and so I think that's what teachers miss is that um, certain, like, I mean, even Einstein didn't memorize certain things. We get tripped up over the minor things and miss the major. 
And uh, we can't we can't let that happen. We can't let ourselves get in the way. We can't let our beliefs about our students get in the way of yeah. what they can achieve. Yeah, and Tulane, I, I appreciate you saying that. And it really sounds like what you're saying is you're creating space in your classroom for students to really understand the math that they're doing on a theoretical level um, while applying it to a real world situation. And I think that from what I've read in the book, you all can have that space to do that coaching and that one-on-one work and small group work with students when you have students break into project work time and being really purposeful about that time and giving you the opportunity to work with students that may need that extra support and building that in. That's so that that was that was really great to hear. And that really brings me to my last myth here. Um, and and that I, I want to really dig into this, this concept of maybe teachers or students or uh, just whoever is working in this context may not be aware of how does this math apply to the real world. So some folks might say, well, this is just the math you just need to know. Like, I don't know how to explain to you when you're ever going to use this. And so what do you say um, to folks that have that mindset about certain topics? Uh, I was about to say, I'll kick it out, Chris, and you follow up. This yeah, time. that sounds good. Um, you know, it is so prevalent. And, and I think people may remember that's the interesting side of me and Chris. And maybe while this comes more easier for us, because we weren't always math teachers. Mm. And not having um, just, I call it, you went to school, um, you went to college, which is still more school, then you went back to school, <laughs> um, only type of experience really um, does sort of like um, lends itself to more work for you as a teacher when you're in a project-based learning. It is uh, a natural job embedded type of uh, work. So we came at it very naturally. But I tell people all the time, you usually know people who are not in um, teaching and they usually like to eat and hang Mm -hmm. out with you. So if you offer some food and some time, you can find out sort of how the math works in other arenas and utilize it as a building block. You don't have to do a project all the time or jump out and do it immediately. You can do a year of just soul searching and and investigating for yourself. Hmm. And you'll surprisingly discover that there is a lot of math we teach that nobody uses. Um, And I tell people, tell my students that all the time. I was like, I, this is just on the standardized test is getting you to college. I was mm-hmm. like, we, we, nobody really does this anywhere. I was like, and I'm really in the background trying to get it to stop happening because it's stupid to do something that nobody does. But right now, it's, this is why you're doing it. Um, and we'll, we'll do it for the test. And then, you know, this is not, this is not, but um, project-based learning is when it is important and when the content is utilized. Um, in this way. And I'm I'm glad I'm able to tell them. I was like, this is going to be utilized if you go in this type of field. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I just encourage people to start with their friends um, and get to know the math that way. Yeah. And I think that um, if you, if you have something that you like to do, and I just think, it, you know, maybe people are into gardening or into sewing or into, you know, cooking, any of those things where, they not even they're not even aware they're using math skills. Um, and last time maybe we don't sit down and do actual calculations, but we get 
an estimate in our head because we're comfortable with those numbers. Um, if you can relate something to something, you, you know, an area of, of life that you love doing, sometimes that can help. I mean, it doesn't always help, but sometimes it can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, bringing in teacher interests and also local experts, um, which I know uh, you do a lot of training in your classroom. I think those all help yeah. support the application to the real world. Um, I just want to, as we wrap up our call here, I just want to highlight a few awesome just features of the book here. Uh, they give some great example of an entire PBL unit that you can use and you see how they weave in the core content using the common core, um, you know, mathematical shifts. And additionally, those problem, I'm sorry, project-based strategies uh, into the unit. So definitely check that out. I really love uh, how these are real key teaching strategies that you can use in any content area. They even give a sort of like a smaller scale project simulation that you can do with your staff uh, to orient them to this type of teaching, which I think is awesome and it could be used uh, by coaches and teachers alike. And I wanted uh, both of you to talk a bit about the task section, which I think is one of the best features here of the book and how folks should use it um, after they buy it. Well, one of, one of the things I'll start, you can wrap it up, uh, Talena. Um, one of the things that we realized that when math teachers were sitting next to the other teachers in our trainings on project-based learning, um, they heard four and five weeks for these projects. That, that's all they heard in their head. And they instantly said, I can't do, I can't spend four weeks on a project. Mm -hmm. And what they were missing out on was all of the key things, such as reflection and inquiry, that we do in our normal classroom settings because we are trained in how to do project-based learning. We don't always do full projects with every concept in the school year. Um, mm -hmm. So we said, well, how do we, how do we break this down and, and let them, give them permission to work on things that take a shorter time period. And I think it was Talana came up with the term task, um, but we came with the idea of a task. It's not a full project, but we're going to incorporate as much of the essence of a project-based learning experience as you can in these shorter units. I love that. And I think that is a really uh, key strategy that folks are implementing with and I guess terming it as problem-based learning as well. And I think we should dive into that on another episode. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you guys today. And I know I learned a lot and I hope our listeners learned a lot. And I hope that everyone is going to go out and get this book. So Talania and Chris, talk to us about how can we get a copy of this book and how can we keep up with you guys? Well, I know everybody is in love with Amazon, and Amazon is the uh, easiest place to get the book, um, but you also can go to Proofic Press, P-R-U-F-R-O-C-K Press.com, and get our book there as well. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, we tweet a lot. I'm T.H. Norfar on Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. There's another place you can um, get with me, and uh, I'll let Chris tell him all his handles, too. 
Yeah, and uh, on Twitter, I'm C Fanch, C F A N C H, and also Facebook. And uh, there are some Facebook PBL uh, sites that that I know that we both you know interact with periodically, um, as well as some other you know math related uh, sites around. Um, one of the things you, you can do if you're if you're in Texas in a couple of weeks, the Gifted and Talented, which we can talk about that some other time, but it's not a great title of a thing that I want to talk about necessarily. But I have invited Ben to talk at the Gifted and Talented about the book. Uh, this conference is in San Antonio. It's first week of December. So if you're Ooh. in Texas, come see me. Awesome. Oh, and then I wanted to piggyback. We're in the process of writing. Yes, we are. A second and then kind of a third book, an elementary version um, both for K through two and three through five. So, and we're going to make a joint website. <laughs> we have so much in the, in the pipeline. So follow us, follow us to keep up to date on all of our adventures. Yes. And I'm sure that they have a way for you to sign up for an email list so that you can stay updated on all the cool things they're doing, all the great pipelines. I'm sorry, all the great projects they have coming down the pipeline. Thank you both again. Please enjoy your week and same to our listeners. Have a good one. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I really want to thank our guests for dropping by and giving us some gems about doing project-based learning well in the math classroom. If you could right now jump over to my website, pblnpractice.com, and subscribe to my newsletter, you will get a free project planning template in your inbox today. Again, that's pblnpractice.com. I have a freebie over there for all of our listeners. Please make sure you subscribe, and I hope you have a wonderful week.